0: I'm Mel Todd Wood. At CD Media, we decided never to have a paywall on any of our sites. I hate those. But we have to make money so we do have advertisements. But some people don't like ads. So what can you do? You can sign up for our no-ad subscription. It's a few bucks a month. You go to the top of any of our sites and sign up for the subscription, and you get access to all of our websites, all of the news from around the world. This includes our Eastern European, Israeli, Balkan sites. It includes armedforces.press. It includes all the US papers that we've opened, the Miami Independent, the Connecticut Sentinel, the Georgia Record, the Manhattan press and the, those that are yet to come in the pipeline, which will be opening soon. So you get all this access to fantastic news from around the world with no ads, no display ads, no pop-up ads. I think you'll love it. Please check us out. It helps support CD media, independent media, and basically confronting the propaganda that's being put out by the corporate media. Thank you. Now let's get to our guest.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan and welcome to our Global Conversation in Plain Sight. Today, we have Mary Holland, who is the General Counsel and President of Children's Health Defense. Mary, welcome. Thank you so much. So you just returned from Europe and you you had a conference over there with a lot of people from across uh, Eastern Western Europe. Mary, what are you hearing in terms of uh, the COVID policies in Europe?
2: You know, I was pleasantly surprised for now, Christine. I was first in Budapest and I was then in Brussels and we had conferences in both places. We met with people in the health freedom movement, we met with lawyers, we met with physicians, um, we held press conferences and, and held conferences. And I was very impressed having been to Europe several times this year that there were almost no people wearing masks. There was no testing to go into public places. There was no police presence um, sort of hurting people based on vaccination status. There was no no masks at the airports, no tests at the airports, um, no green passes. So on the surface, things looked uh, much better than they have in the times that I've been in Europe since uh, since 2020. Um, And, you know, and I was also impressed. We we hear a lot about um, food shortages and about fuel shortages. And I was on the alert to look for that. And it wasn't at the surface. We went to I went to restaurants. We had food. People talked about the higher price of fuel and food, but I didn't see that. It was not obvious that the economy was in freefall. There's still, like in the United States, whenever you go to public places, particularly airports, you still see all the posters: six feet distancing, or you know, meter distancing, and masks, and tests, and so on, and even. Uh, for the airlines, you'll see the, the, the text of the requirements will say you have to do all of these things related to COVID policies, but in reality, we didn't, I didn't see that. So that was really welcome to me that it was much freer in practice, but um, none of these restrictions really have disappeared. None of the emergency orders for the most part have disappeared. So everything is in a sort of kind of pause situation
1: so that's but again that's on the surface we had heard that um in germany people are being tested all the time in their offices did you hear anything about that
2: i met with people from germany i didn't hear that i wasn't in germany this time i had been in germany um not long ago in august together with vera Shirav for the 75th anniversary of the nuremberg code and at that time I was quite impressed with the very, very um, notable police presence. We were at two different demonstrations, one in Nuremberg, one in Munich. And there was a very heavy police presence. Actually, in in Budapest, I should say, there was a police presence. So um, we the the people that we were with from Children's Health Defense Europe and uh, the United States and also activists there in Hungary, We went to a demonstration outside a high school um, because a 17-year-old boy, young man, um, who was involved in the athletics program was compelled to take the shots in order to continue in the athletic program. And this young man that they know had taken two jobs died. They don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, whether he died from the shots or not, but a 17-year-old healthy, athletic young man died. So it was very impressive, uh, Christine. People, about maybe 50 people, came together on a street next door to this big high school to have a commemoration for this young man. And there were photos of other people in Hungary who had died. And there were speakers. There was a loudspeaker to talk about how tragic it is that young people are taking these shots and they don't need these shots and they are being injured and they are dying. And at that event, there was a very heavy police presence. It was quite interesting. There were both police who were in uniform in many different places, and it was just a group of 50 people. And people suspected that there might have been people who were in plain clothes who were also there. from the police, so in that sense, there's still this, you know, wariness. But but again, in um, in Brussels, um, I had been with Vera Shirav and other activists back in January. There was going to be a very large rally, but we started that at a press club to talk about what we were going to say, who were speaking, and Vera Shirav, who is herself a Holocaust survivor. She talked about the parallels at this press conference, and our suspicion is that that was so threatening to talk about parallels between the 1930s and now that basically before the rally even started, it was disbanded. So we were back again this time at the Brussels Press Club for a meeting of people from Children's Health Defense Europe and others. Um, Dr. Liz Evans from the UK, who's involved in a medical freedom group, Dr. Wolfgang Vodarg, who had really led the charge to speak out about the swine flu epidemic. Um, Dr. Michael Palmer, who's very deeply involved in Doctors for COVID Ethics. Dr. Sukharit Bhakti, also from Germany, involved in Doctors for COVID Ethics. We all spoke at the press club, and um, this time there was no disruption and there was no police Um,
1: What was the reception of the press in Europe?
2: Well, it was the alternative press, Christine. The mainstream press didn't come. Um, The alternative press is very eager for information and very receptive. It's very disappointing that the mainstream press um, is just not really talking about the real issue. So in Europe, just as in the United States, the booster shots, which have never been tested on humans, Um, were being recommended now to children. And so people were, the theme of the press conference was stop the shots. Um, These shots have been proven to be extremely injurious and most people don't need them. We, We, Dr. Meryl Nass with whom we work very closely, she's a scientific advisor to children's health defense. She showed data from peer reviewed science showing that with each dose, Uh, You get negative efficacy after a very short period of time, i.e. you are more susceptible to getting COVID. So it's just, it it makes no sense what we're doing right now. It makes no sense and people are dying from this and children are really not at risk from COVID, certainly not from the variants that are in circulation. They acquire antibody protection without even getting sick so we were all coming together one of the other fascinating things christine is just to be in europe and to understand so viscerally how this is a global rollout it's the same slogans it's the same signs it's the same (laughs) products it's the same corporations it's 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 really fascinating um you know they are dealing with exactly the same reality we are and they're dealing with the same problems probably even more more challenging in europe that they just it's very hard to stop these things it's very very hard the courts in europe in particular have not really been very responsive um it's more challenging in the U- in europe i think because there's more of this oh it's the national level no it's the eu level no it's the european court of justice no it's your you know national court no it's the european court of human rights there's this sort of like no it's them it's them it's them and nobody's taking responsibility for there is a crisis And the U.S. courts haven't been fantastic, but they haven't been entirely asleep either. And one of the things I've learned in the the saying that courts follow culture, that as, as the tide is turning, and it is turning on these measures, courts are stepping up in the United States and they are starting to listen to the evidence and they are starting to, things are starting to happen. And also I'm hopeful that in the new Congress, in the new year, there will be investigations in Congress people aren't seeing quite as much movement in that way in Europe. So in Brussels is the European Parliament. We did have the occasion to meet with a few members of the European Parliament, and they don't really have a lot of power, Christine, the, the power at the national level. And yet these regulations and these policies about COVID are really being driven by the European Commission. So there's it's a very... Um, it's a very fraught environment in Europe in that way. That so much power is at the level of the European Commission, and yet these people are entirely unelected. And there is a pervasive sense that um, the policies by von der Leyen, the chair of the commission, are really quite corrupted. That there's been there one of the issues in Europe is that there were text messages between the head of Pfizer, Albert Burla, and von der Leyen, and those are not transparent to the public. And people have and von der Leyen's husband is actually in the pharmaceutical industry, directly benefiting from COVID policies. So right. there, I did get a, a pervasive sense that it's it, there's there's it's not transparent
1: there's how, how well known is that about her text messaging with with the
2: advisor? Well is
1: it because i mean we know about this here in the united yes, states
2: it's but very well known and it, people are very they see her i think you know the people that i'm talking to see her as being extremely out of touch and um being uh unaccountable
1: to the public yeah she is um so, what about uh, how young are the children? What is the age? Are they going to the six-month-old babies?
2: No, it's the same as in the United States, Christine. It okay, is- so it's a
1: it's a uniform
2: sure. plan. It is one of the things that's interesting, though, is in Europe um, there has been on some level, more pushback. So some of the Scandinavian countries in particular um, have said that they do not recommend the shots for people under 18 or for even people under 30. And sometimes that's by brand of the COVID shots. Sometimes it's by the technology it's related sometimes to the myocarditis risk, but there's been more pushback on that level. But interestingly, I just got a message from Dr. Meryl Nass, one of our science advisors. She's at a meeting right now in Norway with other physicians in the health freedom movement. And she's finding, again, there's very similar policies of discrediting the doctors who are speaking out. So there are many doctors in Europe as well who are facing disciplinary action by the, bo- by the medical boards for the only reason that these physicians are speaking out, that the COVID measures are harmful and that the COVID vaccines, the tests, the masks are harmful to people. So that's interesting. She herself, as you may know, has been facing disciplinary action from the state of Maine and has been in two hearings now by the disciplinary board. But her license was suspended already almost a year ago.
1: So the patterns there, which means it leads me to believe, at least in, let's say, you know, Europe and and the U.S., and I would probably say in Canada as well as in Australia and New Zealand, there's, there's, there's a cabal. Of people that said, we know that this works in one country or one region, and we should do this in the other because the disinformation, the shutting down, the, I mean, it all happened at different times. And in some places, like in Australia, Melbourne was shut down for, you know, for, for my gosh, it was a two, mu- two months. People couldn't go out of their house unless they had to go to a pharmacy or something. But there's there's a pattern here of testing what works where.
2: Absolutely, it's very coordinated. And that's what's so interesting. When you do have the occasion to travel, you see that it's exactly the same policies, exactly the same slogans, minor variation, uh, Mm -hmm. timing, but it's so clear that there is a coordinated strategy in 190 countries in the world. Uh, How did this happen? It's clearly coming from places like the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the United Nations around these goals, Uh, But those are not democratically elected. That's
1: right. That's right. And And, and, and
2: is that these but the national governments are democratically elected and they don't seem to be really pushing back in general, although perhaps that will change. We can hope that there's more requirement for democracy in these policies. These policies have
1: been fantastically harmful to people. So let's talk about the, when we talk about the judges, all right? Sometimes judges need to be educated about the facts because they only, judges can only rule on that which is put before them. And they, you know, requested by, you know, either the the parties in in the courtroom. Is there, is there a plan to educate some of these judges?
2: Well, um, because they have cases coming before them regarding COVID policies, particularly regarding the government policies, um, but to some extent also pharmaceutical policies, um, they really, you can't sort of educate them on the
1: side, right? They can't. No, be- I, but, but I'm saying, should there be a judicial? judicial? Well, I mean, the clerks can certainly go to, to a conference and learn. Um,
2: yes, the clerks could go to a conference, but a judge can't really be taking <coughs> courses, online courses about COVID if they're, they've are they got a case before them. They need to look at the evidence before them. The, the key battle in Europe and in the United States, I was just on the phone yesterday with a lawyer in Australia, really in most countries of the world, not all, most countries of the world, there's there's a real issue around stand, what's called standing. Do you have as a plaintiff, do you have a case or controversy that is judicial before the court? Can the court look at this? And one of the things that's very clear about these emergency powers in the United States, but this is everywhere, is they've tried to foreclose people being able to sue in court they say oh there's an emergency we can't you know courts can't intervene this is the department of health this is executive branch it's an emergency it's an emergency we were in a hearing yesterday in a case that we have against the food and drug administration we don't have a decision yet from a federal judge but this is a case in the western district of texas And um, the question really revolved around, do we have standing to sue? And the Department of Justice representing the FDA said, no, they don't have standing. The law says there's no standing, there's no judicial review. And our argument is just because they say it's an emergency doesn't mean it's an emergency. For children, it's not an emergency. And if they're telling- It never
1: was, it never was an emergency. It's
2: effective and it's a vaccine and it's an emergency and none of those things are true. Well, then what's the role of the courts? If we have separation of powers, if you don't think we have standing, is there any role for a court? So we'll see what the judge comes back with. But this issue of standing is critical. But, I, but there's something that's very interesting on this. I learned this just within the last few months. The Indian Supreme Court, is the only court in the world that I'm aware of on a national level that's found that COVID mandates are unconstitutional. They're unlawful because the COVID shots don't stop infection or transmission. So there's no basis to force everybody to take them. But the basis on which they have standing is very interesting. Apparently there was a very prominent Brahmin family and a young man had been involved in a bank robbery, a terrorist act, and he was in prison. For life, and he became aware of torture in the Indian prison, and he brought a claim, a jailhouse lawyer, to say, if I don't bring this case, nobody can bring this case to stop this torture in the prison. And so the Supreme Court of India found that there was standing for someone to bring a public policy issue to the Supreme Court, which takes human. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so there, the, the the problems with standing in the United States don't exist in India. Our colleagues in India, Dr. Jacob Puliel, a retired pediatrician with a pro bono attorney, Dr. Bhushan Prasad, um, the attorney Bhushan Prasad, they brought a case um, and they found that there's no possible COVID mandate that's constitutional in India. It's a very well-reasoned decision and that affects 1.4 billion people on the planet. So it's, there is some progress, um, and I think there will be more, Christine, as sadly, the, the, the injuries um, from these shots become more and more pervasive. This has been a catastrophe. It shows us what's wrong with hastily prepared um, medicines and vaccines and then pushing them on people in violation of the Nuremberg Code.
1: Where is that Nuremberg Code c- case at this point in time? Has Is anything happening with that?
2: Oh, I'm not sure. There's lots of cases that mention it. Um, there's a case before the International Criminal Court. I don't think that's moving very quickly. But many, st- so the US federal law has incorporated the Nuremberg Code. And the code is specifically about experiments, uh, experimental human subjects. Um, but the Nuremberg Code has been incorporated into most state statutes. So New York, California, for instance, have taken the language almost entirely. My view, very strongly, is that these shots are emergency use authorization, which by definition means that they're investigational, which means that they're experimental. So Nuremberg Code, which was adopted in 1947 to prosecute Nazi doctors responsible for human atrocities, that code is now recognized in u.s federal law as international customary law it's a use kogan's norm it's the same thing as conventions globally against piracy against torture against slavery Mm -hmm. um so the Nuremberg code applies and people may imagine that it doesn't but it does and and when law is restored The people who have collaborated to force people to take shots without giving them adequate information and coercing them at pain of their employment or pain of their education. Those people are responsible, Christine, and I do believe that at the end of the day, there's going to have to be some form of a truth and reconciliation commission as well as prosecution for the people who really made this happen. There's recently been a conversation I'm sure you're aware of. yeah, there should be amnesty let bygones be guy bonds you know what we oh, couldn't know yeah. blah, blah, blah. No. no there can't be amnesty there needs to be prosecution for people who pushed this who knowingly pushed this when they knew that they didn't it didn't stop transmission they knew that more people died in the vaccine group than in the control group within three months they knew there had been 1200 deaths and they pushed it on people anyway um, there does need to be punishment. People have died. Tens of thousands of people have died around the world. Um, there does need to be punishment for the people who knowingly perpetrated these these violations of um, the Nuremberg Code and crimes against humanity. But there are lots and lots of foot soldiers, Christine, and I don't think that they should go to jail. But I do think that transparency and telling the truth and, and fact finding is critical. So it doesn't happen again. This Well, should-
1: no. I, go, I, go, I go back to the, the origin of this. I still cannot wrap my head around why world leaders have not come together to demand how the hell this thing started. If it wasn't a lab, let's just say it, it was in a lab. We know that they're not regulated for the work that they do. The Frankenstein work that these scientists do when they go out there to find the bats in the caves, take them back, put them in a petri dish to find out if they're, if that coronavirus is transmissible to humans. And people make mistakes human error does it does exist that's just a reality of life but that th- th- that needs to be absolutely in a function goes. research
2: needs to stop it needs to stop under treaty christine we have a bioweapons treaty but unfortunately there's a big loophole that says if it's dual use i.e. you use the pathogens to figure out the vaccines it doesn't work. It needs to be revised so that there's an absolute prohibition on this gain of function research. And well,
1: it's, it's also da- it's it's very, very dangerous scientific work. And those people who are part of that world, Dennis Carroll's that I've interviewed for, for a long period of time, he has even said on camera that there's no regulations on it. It's very dangerous work. Well nuclears is very dangerous but we have we, we supposedly have rules about that but if we if we have people and governments pouring money into this
2: well it's on a global scale and as you may know christine president biden just came out with an executive order in september um, and it, it's it's numbered, but it's about the, the biological future. And he specifically says in that, that we will invest in further pathogenic research that is of dual use. It explicitly says this administration right. is absolutely committed to further gain of function research. And we know that at Boston University, scientists have just come out with saying they found that they can make the coronavirus 80% uh, lethal in humanized life. I mean, this stuff is Frankenstein science. It is. Yeah, a- it, it, it is,
1: it is. And, and the public, the public is not aware of how it works, um, but it's very dangerous. Very. It, you know, If it got out in Boston, you're, you're talking about wiping out a city.
2: It could be, you know, one of the things that Dr. Merrill Nass has reassured me about is because it's in a lab, they don't really know what's going to happen with it and so if something it's it's conceivable but they don't really know how lethal it is when it's, you look at coronavirus, if, if you- So they're get, saying
1: that it's lethal in the mice, but- we, Right, I we, we mean, and that.
2: they're humanized mice, but when you look for instance at the event 201, which is an extraordinary signaling exercise. The one, the
1: one at Hopkins that was supported October, by Bloomberg and, and Gates.
2: Right, so in the October 2019 simulation of a coronavirus crisis that came out of Latin America and pigs, Um, they predicted that 65 million people would die. That's not what's happened with coronavirus. It's actually uh, on a whole order of magnitude less than that. I don't know if that was the intent. One can argue about what that whole signaling exercise was about or tabletop exercises, they called it. But in other words, it's very unpredictable, Christine. All of this deadly research, which I think should stop, I don't, this is taxpayer money from around the world. These are global treaties to do be to create BSL 4 labs, biosecurity labs, and do this kind of crazy Frankenstein science. But I think that, um, you know, this shouldn't be done. And you can foreclose this with the treaty. I mean, just like atomic energy, it's subject to surveillance, just like nuclear power is subject to surveillance.
1: I, I think see, that there are not, high- My argument is if they want to put all of us under surveillance, why isn't their work under surveillance? Well, why, why isn't that
2: surveillance? Of course, this absolutely should yes. be stopped or should be heavily, heavily, heavily re- regulated. But this gain of function, so-called it it is bio let's be i shouldn't even it's it's bio weapons bio weapons research and people like bill gates who we have to listen to is saying forget about nuclear weapons it's all about bio weapons and what they love about bio weapons is plausible deniability oh people got sick instead of no they were they were targeted with a bio weapon it there's more plausible deniability than when you use fire bombs or grenades or nuclear weapons um, we've got to stop
1: this. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, so we, we have countries where there are groups of people that are part of the the medical freedom or scientific freedom world who are honing in on what's happening in their countries or their regions. And then while you were in Europe, you know, the business 20, which is the business leaders, uh, Twenty, which precedes the Global Leaders 20 meeting in, uh, on the island of Bali in Indonesia, occurred this week. And I thought it was very interesting how they rolled this out because they had the Business 20, which is the Ministers of Finance and Economics from different countries plus business leaders in the room. And the the Minister of Health in Indonesia came out during that session and said we need to have this digital vaccination. He, he announced it and got a little bit of press, but not a whole hell of a lot. That business 20 was also one of their one of their sponsors was the World Economic Forum. Then they go into the the you know heads of states, what they call the G20, which is 19 countries plus the EU. Our favorite head of the EU was, was there. Um, Klaus Schwab was on the ground. I didn't see anything, I didn't yet see anything about Gates. President Biden held a press conference. Nobody asked him anything. They asked him about his meeting with, uh, with Ch- the Chinese delegation. They they asked him things that had nothing, it wasn't about climate. I mean, everything was on the table, okay? It was the one health concept, which is animals, plants, and humans coming under the WHO. And then it was all codified in what they call the Bali agreement. So on November 16th, Tedros, head of WHO, who was also on the ground, came out with a statement to the press and, you know, glorified the fact that everybody came together and they're going to move forward and they're going to have this pandemic fund and how many, you know, how much money that they put into it. They've raised a little bit over a billion dollars, $450,000 came from the United States for that. They had non-members of the G20 come in, like Saudi Arabia. They also talked, he also talked about how they're going to have an mRNA technology center in South Africa. Uh, We learned later from the Indonesian government, this was not part of Tedros, that they're going to have an mRNA technology hub in Indonesia as well. Um, So, of course, the Indonesians are all slapping each other on the back. The Indonesian... um, Prime ministers meeting with Xi, you know, from China, Xi, I should say, and they're talking about working, collaborating together in the future, you know, on COVID vaccinations. And then the same day that Tedros puts it out, he on the different U.S. embassies overseas, and plus on the White House uh, website, we have the Bali Agreement and buried in there is everything from climate change to right. you know the sustainable uh sustainable developments at the un they talk about yeah i love this this whole thing about food you know what they're really talking about is starvation okay uh-huh. food and food food security is the terminology the global use. but then they had five or six paragraphs about the vaccinations and it, it, it's clear this is a full throttle move ahead. Don't give a damn about the globe. Your voices don't matter. We're going to tell you what you're going to do. The vaccination passports are on the table. And I'm thinking to myself when I'm I'm reading this this valley, you know, agreement like it's it's not happening tomorrow because they still have to have ongoing meetings in the future, you know, in 2023 and 2024. But It's clear that everybody who was in agreement for this Bali agreement is giving the the health sovereignty under the WHO. And Tedros, who's head of the WHO, loves this idea. I mean, this is the king of the world at the end of the day. Now, what was interesting to me is that they wanted to have billions of dollars annually but then the Indonesian politician came out and said, no, no, we need $31 billion a year. And of course, who who was the first one in? The US, Gates, put a little bit of money. I, I, I haven't figured out how much money, but he was mentioned pouring some money into it. So you have the same players. Sure. How do we stop this, Mary? so seriously this is very
2: serious this is is becoming more and more overt there is this plan to create essentially a world government based on the notion of pandemic control under Mm -hmm. the World health organization and they've got two different routes that they're working on and the u.s under this administration is a hundred percent behind
1: this oh there's no there's no doubt in my mind that that biden is i mean he's he wants to lead the pack Right. So but the interesting thing was that no one, no one at that press conference asked him anything about this. That was not the top story. I didn't see anything in the United States flipping the channels. Nobody's talking about the valley Agreement. I wrote a long piece that we're going to post on our website yeah. that takes it's a
2: deep no, yeah, it's very important because it is the articulation of now very, very officially the world economic is the G twenty saying this is our future you know digital surveillance food insecurity um uh, world one one health under world health organization vaccination passports, surveillance surveillance right limited travel this is the vision And it's a very very unappealing vision. So there are two ways to get to the World Health Organization being the fulcrum of a new world order. One is through the international health regulations, and the US government proposed amendments to those that Africa basically shut down in December. For
1: now, but they did they did talk about that in the Bali agreement. You know, those and explain for the audience, Mary, because we found out about that, I think it was in April, but we found out that they were. Written by somebody who's head of the global office under the HHS in the Biden administration here in the United States. And these are amendments supported by 47 countries that basically wanted to amend those 2005 national health regulations under the WHO. Right. Well, more countries than
2: that, I believe, but 47 African countries rejected the amendments to the international health regulations. The international health regulations without going to the nation states, as I understand it, if the World Health Assembly had adopted those international health regulations, it again, it's a movement towards this sort of one world order under pandemic control. And Bill Gates wrote a book recently, something around pandemic. This is the sort of this is the idea. And remember, he created about three or four years ago, this Center for Emergency Preparedness Innovations, uh, Gavi, this is this is what they've been planning. Gavi, SEPI. Right, Gavi, yes. SEPI. These are all these stepping stones towards using the World Health Organization and using the COVID pandemic. and to some extent, let me focus on that, using this health paradigm, one health, animals, planet, humans, to basically supersede national governments and to have these global policies around vaccination. And the vaccination not only I think um, allows extraordinary control over humans, but it creates a surveillance system. It creates these individual digital IDs. And many people from the very beginning of COVID, we had people talking about vaccine passports. That's a way to put people on a digital grid. Now, of course, that's completely unnecessary from any health perspective, but it's absolutely necessary if you wanna create a new world order where there is surveillance. And we know people like Elon Musk and others, they are launching thousands of satellites into the air so that there is a 24 seven global surveillance grid. This is the the image that people have and it is surveillance from the sky. It is surveillance through these medical passports. And the, the other discussion, which I believe was raised at Bali, was digital central bank currencies. And this right. is the idea that your money only works if they let you let your money work. And they can take money out of your account at any point. And if you're only <coughs> to be going five miles from your house, your money doesn't work beyond five miles from your house. So there are these multiple control systems that are coming in to very clear view. And one of the important things, I think, for those bringing these systems has been to keep them separated from us. So we think about COVID, we think about money, we think about military, we think about, you know, 5G and electromagnetic, um, you know, telephone interactions, but it's actually all a part of this whole. And I think the Bally agreement makes that very clear. These are all a part of this they want every human on the planet by 2030 to have a digital ID. And I think they've taken this off the World Economic Forum website, but they came out in, I think, 2013 or so. The number, they say eight things to know about 2030. And the first thing it says for 2030 is, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And as Mm -hmm. one of our colleagues, Catherine Austin Fitz says, you will own nothings means they will steal everything and you will be happy means you will be mind controlled. So we are up against some very serious forces. I mean, who says you will own nothing by 2030? That's seven years from now. That is, if that's not a cabal, if that's not a conspiracy, I honestly don't know what is.
1: Well, there's there's conspiracies that, that have no basis and then you have you have. Conspiracies in plain sight, and that's that's what we try to do in the show: is point out to people. Do not think that this is craziness, because we actually have smart people in the room who do the research, and it's compelling because these are their documents.
2: These are their documents. So these I'm are not- their.
1: When I read the Bali Agreement, no, I, mean, I, I looked at it is- and I had to read it twice because I thought to my, I mean. "This is done by staff before they ever arrived in Bali." They just announced it when they're in Bali. They just go through the 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 the, the prop, you know, right? The, the 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 conferences because you know it's pictures and they all come together. But it's all it, it's a fait accompli before the before the the planes land. But most people, I don't think, have any concept how serious this is. They don't, Christine, and that's and I and I keep on saying to myself, you know, would the American people have even voted anybody no. in? Knowing, yes. I mean, and where's the conversation on Capitol Hill?
2: So I'm hopeful, Christine, that this conversation now starts to happen. And I don't know if you're aware, but there was a resolution passed almost by two-thirds of the Senate to call off the emergency this past week. That's huge. Well,
1: well th- I, I did know that, but but the fact that, you know, in October, it was sort of silently rolled out before the election. and january and now they're talking about wanting to extend it even i mean you know we, we're oh, never going to get rid of this emergency this emergency
2: is outrageous this is how all human rights violations happen it's always under the guise of an emergency whether it's a foreign enemy whether it's a earthquake whether it's a natural disaster whether it's a pandemic it is always under an emergency that bad things happen so mm-hmm. um I think people, part of our job at um, Children's Health Defense is to make people more aware of the World Health Organization. We recently did a film, Andy Wakefield is the director, um, but we were the producers of the film, um, which is specifically about the role of the World Health Organization in Africa. They did clearly participate in vaccines that were being um marketed being provided to women of childbearing age that were infertility causing that they did not acknowledge they were selling it as they knew it they knew it at the time and this film that we produce which is on our website children's health defense live chd tv uh, it's called Infertility, a Diabolical Agenda. It's very clear, it is very, there is forensic evidence in the film that the World Health Organization was absolutely involved in perpetrating what is clearly a crime against humanity. The World Health Organization, Tedros himself, the Secretary General, was a terrorist in Ethiopia. He was not supported by African delegations to be the head of it. He has very close ties to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, to the Clinton Foundation, to China. Um, he is not some, he's the first head of the World Health Organization who's not a physician.
1: Uh, That's right. He has doctor before his name, but he has a Ph.D. in in public health or something like that. He also married. He was investigated um, by a former prosecutor, U.S. prosecutor who did a deep dive on the global fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria. And he was then the minister of health in Ethiopia. But he was found to be very fraudulent. And And, and, And people have to understand that when you have these international entities like the World Health Organization which comes under the UN uh, and for somebody as old as I am who has investigated the UN for human trafficking and and fraud uh there have been you know investigations of these large entities They find they find out about the the amount of financial fraud and it goes from the top. They might have a pot of money at the top, but it's a five percent, two percent, three percent, you know, as it chips down. By the time you build that hospital, it doesn't have electricity because everybody's been paid off. And that's just the way it works. And it's worked at the World Bank, it's worked at the IMF, and now we have the World Bank and the IMF buying into this whole, uh, you know, global digital world economy. You know, that's, and that's, and and so they, you're going to have the banks, you're going to have these, these, these international bodies, you have these, quote unquote, heads of state that want to blow up the Treaty of Westphalia, so you don't have national sovereignty. Right. But is there any way to to bring these to i mean what's what's the big elephant in the room that we're missing that would be shocking to that would wake up people
2: well i think that people in in most countries most people christine you know have to take care of their families they have mm-hmm. to go to work they have to go you know get their grocery shopping they do their laundry most people's focus is not sort of global. And to, I think, a casual observer, these ideas sound far-fetched. To, to a, a, a Except the, we uh, have
1: documents. We have documents. Oh, we I have understand. their statements.
2: I know this is not far-fetched, but I'm explaining that I do believe that most people, with when confronted with documents that say, for instance, in New York, our governor um, passed a regulation that's been challenged and enjoined by a court, but the regulation says, we can pick you up and put you in any kind of quarantine facility without any evidence we can just suspect you of infectious disease you have no right to get out you'll have to hire a lawyer to get yourself out this was enjoined as being against the constitution but people in new york state don't know about that this woman was just reelected and yet this
1: is an extraordinarily this literally takes us back before the magna carta this is right 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 and and, and, and we we interviewed before. Bobby Ann Fox, who is it Cox Fox, or Fox? Yeah. Cox. Right. I mean, it's an extraordinary so, regulation that she and now and she gets Kathy gets reelected and she's already put notice on the court that she she's going to appeal this. Did, did she do that? Well she she didn't know she that, she, that, no, that she, that she, she put the she notice, notice on the court before. So I don't number.
2: know that we don't know Christine. She has like uh, several. I don't know that she has filed her appeal. We don't. No, know she that.
1: hasn't filed the brief for the appeal. Right. But it, but she and, and well, the, the attorney of- general of New York before the election they were both up for re-election. But before the election they put the notice to the court that even though the judge came down and said this is unconstitutional. For health counties, we'll we'll see whether
2: they actually—they don't have to follow through, but they filed a notice of appeal. But this is my point: it people don't—it's hard for people to even believe that. It's hard for people to believe there's a World Health Organization that really does want to overcome your national government and be able to force you to take shots. That is what is on order here. They will force you to take medical interventions, experimental ones like the one we just did. And people, I think, don't. They don't really believe it. And so we do have to just explain to people, this threatens your life. This is not This is not distant. This is not the news. This is not something far off. This is about you. This new world order, should it exist, will compel you to have a digital ID. It will control your money. It will control your life. It will control your body. That's how incredibly invasive the the construct is. Christine, I don't believe this will come to pass. I don't believe that the 7 billion of us on the planet want this kind of dystopian future. But our job is to make people aware of how serious these threats are and to push back against it. As Bobby Kennedy, the chair of our organization, says, resist, 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 resist we have to resist this kind of insane level of central control. Central controls are never democratic and they're never very productive. It takes an enormous amount of wealth to create that kind of control infrastructure it's far better to have things be more decentralized where they're more responsive to what's happening look at the soviet union why did i lived in the soviet union for many years why did it fall apart because it was too centrally planned you can't have a national economy over seven time zones you know formulated by goss plan it doesn't work you've Mm -hmm. got to rip it up shatter it and give people freedom and things then are there's more wealth
1: creation Mary, you know, what's, what's striking What's striking to me, though, is in my lifetime, I have never seen a more corrupt administration than the Biden administration. I I, I can say this and, and, and you know, it's, it's, I'm not some right wing nutcase. <laughs> I've never seen anything quite like this. But the fact that the Biden administration and it's not well known in the American public, but he is totally behind this the people in his administration they're the ones that are making the amendments it. to the world health organization they're pushing, international regulations
2: they're pushing giving up us sovereignty that's and right people are really asking the question are some of these things like the the gain of function research like what's happening even with ukraine you know is this treason it's very
1: hard well, to a- is it an impeachable crime yeah. i mean if you if you're actually willing and and the one thing that in this whole notion of giving the sovereignty up to uh, the World Health Organization, in these new amendments that the Biden administration took the lead on writing that haven't yet been adopted, the World Health Secretary General, whoever that may be, or Director General, and the six regional directors, they can decide if there's a pandemic or epidemic in the United States. They then will make a decision on whether or not what happens in that area. Right the head of state who's the elected official has no say exactly. This is truly the a very
2: major step in overcoming national sovereignty and moving it towards a global sovereign. That is the role of the WHO, which I don't think was originally the point of the WHO as far as I know, but that is what no, is on well, it was not it, w- it was not when it was created. It was not yeah. so so clearly <laughs> well, although I think even those who created the U.N., I think there was always this idea of a world government. And I wanna say, I do believe that international cooperation, communication, coalitions are critical. I I was just in Europe. I believe that people need to sort of have communication about what's happening in different places. But the notion of a one-world government is absolutely anathema. It won't work,
1: Christine. It'll be corrupt. Well it won't work, but people have to wake up and realize that it is in motion and there are Faustian, Faustian, evil people. I agree. Who 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 want to do it not for the benefit of the citizenship of the countries. Right. And and when people do this, it's for control. It's a totalitarian. It's the largest totalitarian model. Well, and,
2: you know, I think it's 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 fascistic, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. has elements of both fascism and communism, the last major global war. These are these public-private partnerships. And clearly, the, the sort of the corporate entities are the, the senior partners here right. as the fascist kind of state. I have to say, I think there have been a lot of dystopian movies in recent years that are very helpful and understanding what's on offer. I do have to say that during the pandemic, I watched all of the episodes of The Hunger Games, and I do think it's a very good portrayal of what's on offer here, that there will be an elite that leads this extraordinary life of of luxury and comfort, and everybody else is a peasant. We are in a feudal system. It is a kind of a, what's on offer is a kind of neo feudalist system.
1: You know, it was several years ago. It was over the holidays, and there, my one of my godchildren watched it, and I had I forget, but was three or four uh, episodes, but I watched them all on the same day because they were up there, and I thought to myself, wow.
2: And I watched the director wow. of it. I and recommend
1: it, that to people that they ought to take a look at it now.
2: It's, you know, I didn't want to watch it because I thought, oh, how awful, you know, people killing each other. I, it's not my thing. I'm not into action movies. But during the pandemic, I actually heard people talk about it. And I thought <laughs> I have to watch this movie. And I thought it was very. And and I watched then a conversation with the director who who said explicitly, this is about the world. That we live in this is about the united states this is trying through art to make it more visible to people mm-hmm. and you know divide and conquer and then those in control who absolutely are the chosen ones and they they think that people you know other humans are disposable entirely disposable and in fact that's the the premise that these young people kill each other and then they become invested in the system but these young people are disposable
1: Right. But right. that's the commodification of the human race. It took me a long time to understand what is it that make people tick who who, who are involved with any aspect of human trafficking, modern day slavery. And I remember some friends from Nova Scotia said to me, you have to understand that pe- there are people in this world who inflict pain for their own pleasure. Yes. I mean, that's right. how sick some of these people are. Well, Mary, you know, I'm glad we've, we've taken a whip around the world, even to the movies as well. Um, but you know anything else you want to say to the audience before we bow out of the show resist hang in there don't give up and we're also having a lot of fun, folks. So don't think that this is all all a drag because Not all doom and gloom. No, that's right. That's that's, that's the one thing that we, we and keep...
2: actually, you know, we are creating the new media, the new organizations, the new universities, the new healthcare. We're doing all of that. And uh, and that's the fun part. It is actually very creative what we're doing as well as confronting the evil. It's also
1: really creating the new the new structures that will be better, we hope and you you guys have created i know katherine austin fist is, is involved with this in terms of the global walkout to walk away from these people the certain yeah. steps that they can take which is on your site
2: yeah once yeah. a week there's a wonderful young woman in uh, australia monica smith who announces a new global action you can take so one week it may be not using cash another week it may be doing other things but they're very concrete things we can do in our daily lives to disengage From this emerging enveloping control system, and a very simple one that Catherine Austin Fitz often points out is to use cash. When you use cash, you are not—you—you cannot be traced. If you use a credit card or if you use a debit card, a bank and larger surveillance systems know exactly where you are. They know exactly what you do, and that data is being bought and sold every day. So, do things that keep you more. In control uh, that you're the only person who knows what you're doing and where you are. So don't buy smart meters and don't use Google if you can avoid it and don't use credit cards. All of those things are little things you can do. Buy local, use your local retail people, don't get everything from Amazon. All of those things are very concrete things you can do every day to disengage from what is an emerging control grid.
1: Well, Mary, on that note, you know, we've got to go. But good to see you. And glad you're back on this side of the pond. Thanks, Christine. Bye.